I want you to take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 7. Here's the, the title of the message today in the form of a question. Who can be saved? Have you given much thought to that question? Do you know the answer to that question? Well, today in Mark chapter 7, I'm going to take a text that involves one of the most unusual encounters that Jesus ever had during his three-year earthly ministry on this planet. But before we jump into that story itself, let's consider the, the context for this story. Jesus had had a run-in with the Pharisees and scribes in Galilee. Surprise, surprise. That was always happening. These men were considered to be experts in the Jewish law. In fact, their focus was on the external aspects of one's spirituality. You know, do this, don't do that. That was their whole M.O. as far as religious leaders were concerned. Rituals ruled the day for them. In fact, they would create new rituals to add to the rituals you were already supposed to be keeping. And they were quick to do that. In their minds, salvation was only for the Jews and only for those Jews who would keep the law. On the other hand, Jesus emphasized the internal aspects of one's spirituality. It was the heart that mattered to Jesus, not the externals. Now, to make sure his disciples got the answer to our question correct, Jesus took them out of Palestine. As far as I know, this is the only time that Jesus went outside the confines of Palestine during his entire earthly ministry. And, and so Jesus took them out of Palestine to a place called Tyre on the Mediterranean coast. Now, this was a hike of approximately 35 miles. May I remind you that they didn't have cars. May I remind you they didn't have trains. May I remind you that they had to walk 35 miles, and Tyre was situated to the northwest of Galilee, and it involved the Gentile territory of ancient Phoenicia, which today is southern Lebanon. It's like walking from the Sea of Galilee up to maybe the, the Valley of Megiddo, up Caesarea, turn right, and go north, and you'll come to Tyre. Now, this, this area was known for its pagan spirituality and its idolatry. Now, now, you might say that for Jesus and the disciples, this was a staff retreat. It was a staff retreat. It was a time to get away from the barrage of constant criticism from the sniping scribes and the petulant Pharisees. He would use this time to teach the disciples some valuable lessons, including the answer to our question today, who can be saved? Now, with that context in mind, let's dive right into the story. Look at verse 24. Jesus got up. Remember, he was getting up in Galilee 
probably the Capernaum area, and he was moving to the region of Tyre, got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. That's a great statement, isn't it? Yet he could not escape notice. So much for rest and relaxation, so much for some uh, quiet time to just teach his disciples. Now listen, roughly 900 years earlier, the prophet Elijah was sent by God to this same area to escape the hounding and the, 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 the desire of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel to kill this prophet of God. He went to the same area. Queen Jezebel grew up in this area, and, and she introduced Baal worship into the life of the covenant people of God in Israel. Now, news about the arrival of Jesus spread like wildfire. Even deep in Gentile territory, the people had heard about him. But how? How had they heard about Jesus? There was no Twitter. There was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. There was no Fox News. There was no CNN. There were no cell phones. There were no texts going on. And yet, these people in this Gentile territory had heard about Jesus, and Jesus could not escape their notice. Well, let, let's consider this. Let, let's try to figure out how in the world they heard. In Mark chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, the Bible says, Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples and a great multitude from Galilee followed also from Judea. Now listen, look at verse 8. And from Jerusalem and from Idumea and beyond the Jordan and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, which was north of Tyre. A great number of people heard of all that he was doing and came to him. So these people from Tyre and Sidon, they traveled back to their home after being with Jesus and being exposed to his miracles, to being exposed to his authoritative teaching and his heartfelt compassion. And when they got back, even in Tyre, they told people about Jesus, about this wonder-working miracle worker there in Galilee. And, and this is how people had heard about him in Tyre. Though the Lord intended this trip for rest and for private instruction of his disciples, Jesus knew something they didn't know. He knew there was a divine appointment waiting for him in the pagan city of Tyre. A divine appointment. In fact, that encounter would be become a critical part of the disciples' training now, remember, Jesus knew that he was about to go to the cross. He was about to be resurrected from the dead. He was about to ascend back to heaven. And he was putting the whole future of the kingdom in the hands of these 12 men. And he had to get them ready. So he took them out of Palestine and used this encounter to get them ready for his departure. Well, the Bible says 
in Mark chapter 7, verse 25 and 26. But after hearing of him, so this woman heard of Jesus. Oh, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. This woman was desperate. She loved her little daughter. That little daughter was the apple of her eye, and that little daughter was being cruelly, cruelly abused by this demon that had infiltrated her body and her spirit. And she went to Jesus, and she kept asking him, Lord, please do something. Please do something. I'm sure that she had tried everything she knew to do to get help for her little daughter. Maybe she even turned to the idols she once worshipped. But they were useless. And there was something inside this woman that told her, if my daughter has a nat's chance of a life, I have to get to Jesus. Jesus is my only hope. Now, from a Jewish perspective, and remember now, all these 12 disciples were Jewish men. This woman was an untouchable, hopeless case. She was an intrusion into their special time with Jesus. She was a woman in the first century that put her on a lower rung. Now, don't throw rocks at me, ladies. This is first century stuff. This is reality. She was a Gentile. Number two, she was a Gentile. Number three, she was a descendant of the Canaanites, the people who occupied the land before Joshua led them into the land to remove the Canaanites so that they could have the promised land. And her city was saturated in pagan spirituality. This lady had four things going against her as she came to Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, and the Jewish disciples who were following him. Even being around her would make these Jewish men unclean in the eyes of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, praise God, there were no scribes and Pharisees in Tyre. The fact that she kept asking for his help indicates that she was desperate. Jesus was her only hope. Matthew, in his gospel, he tells the same story enlightens us a little bit deeper. He fills in some gaps for us in verse chapter 15, verse 22, when he says this, And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. She was not only demon-possessed, she was cruelly demon-possessed. Even though she was a Gentile, she acknowledged Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. She referred to him by the Messianic title, Son of David. What a contrast between her view of Jesus as a Gentile woman and the, the view of the scribes and Pharisees there in Israel. According to Matthew's account, Jesus totally ignored this woman. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 23, the Bible says, but he did not answer her a word. <laughs> She's begging for help. 
And Jesus does not say anything to this woman. A heavy, uncomfortable silence hangs over this scene like a dark, foreboding cloud. Why did Jesus not respond to her? Was it for her benefit or for the benefit of the disciples, or was it for both of them? Was he showcasing the authenticity of this woman's faith by her constantly staying there and begging Jesus, asking Jesus to help her? Or, or was he exposing the prejudice that lurked in the hearts of those disciples? Either way, the disciples misinterpreted the silence of Jesus so in, in Matthew 15, 23, the Bible says, And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. They thought that Jesus was tired of this woman just as they were. They said, Jesus, just send her away. Once again, Matthew fills in the gap for us. Jesus spoke to his disciples. In Matthew 15, 24, but he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now remember, he's speaking to the disciples, but that woman is right there begging for him to help her. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she hears every word, and the disciples hear those words. And boy, they must have been really, really proud about this moment. It's like Jesus was agreeing with the disciples' attitude. Hey, guys, you're right. I'm the Jewish Messiah, not the Gentile Messiah. I don't owe her anything, do I? What a huge teaching moment this was for Jesus. And what a huge learning moment this was for the disciples. If the truth be known, there is an order associated with the gospel. However, from the very beginning, God never intended to cut the Gentiles out of his plan for redemption, ever. In, Matthew, in, in Isaiah 45, 22, God's word says, turn to me and be saved, listen, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. In Romans 1.16, Paul wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There's that priority, the Jew first, but also the Greek. The global expansion of the gospel would not be launched until Jesus died on the cross for the sins of humanity, until he was raised from the dead, until he ascended to heaven's throne, and until he had sent the Holy Spirit to empower the church. Now listen, Jesus came first for the Jews, but he didn't come only for the Jews. He came for you. He came for me. He came for people who live in Afghanistan. He came for people who live in Iran. He came for people who live in North Korea. He came for people who live in Africa, in Asia, in Australia. He came for people who live in California. He came for people who live in Georgia. 
He came for people who live in Michigan. He came for the world. He came for the Jews first. But he didn't come only for the Jews. And boy, we need to remember that. What a lesson it was for those disciples. It was crucial that these disciples learn this lesson while Jesus was still with them. And I honestly believe he wouldn't have been able to teach this lesson with such power and authority in Galilee. He had to get out of Galilee. He had to go to Gentile territory to a place like this to reinforce this truth for these people. Now remember this. One of the early struggles of the, the New Testament church after Jesus ascended back to heaven was this. Could a Gentile be saved without becoming a Jew? Could a Gentile be saved without keeping the Jewish law? Remember, even Peter struggled with this. Do you remember in Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter is in, in, in Joppa, and, and he has a dream, and an angel appears to him and has all kinds of unclean animals in this sheet. And, and, and Peter says, rises up and discusses, I've never eaten un anything unclean. And the angel says to him, what God has cleansed, don't you ever call unclean. And then the, the, next, the next moment, some people from Caesarea came to Joppa. They were sent there by a Roman centurion. And that Roman centurion wanted to hear the message of the truth. He was a God-fearer. And, and Peter went, went with them to Cornelius' house. And, and when he got there, he said, you know it's unlawful for me, a Jew, to be here with you Gentiles, don't you? And, and then Peter preached the gospel. He said, I'm not to call anybody unclean who God can cleanse. And he preached the gospel, and Cornelius and every person in his house was gloriously saved, and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. You, you see, it was important that Peter have the lesson of Tyre before that moment there in Caesarea. Oh, it was such an important lesson for these disciples. And then the Lord Jesus continued to test this woman's faith in an even more shocking way. Not only silence, but look at verse 27 of Mark 7. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He called her a dog. Look, I'm a Mississippi date guy. I almost entitled this message, Who Let the Dogs In? But I decided not to do that. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Did she understand her true spiritual condition? This was Jesus' way of saying to her, Do you admit you're a sinner in desperate need of God's grace? But what a strange way to drive his point home. First, there was silence, an uncomfortable silence. 
And then there was a reference to her as being a dog. So Jesus barred from the Jewish notion that all Gentiles were dogs. That was the Jewish notion of the day. And they didn't deserve to be saved according to the Jewish religion of that day. But the New Testament uses two different Greek words for dogs. The first Greek word is a Greek word that refers to wild scavenger dogs that roamed the streets and ate garbage and just messed people's lives up. The second use of dogs was a, a small diminutive dog that, that could be a household pet. And Jesus used the Greek term here that referred to a small diminutive dog that could be a household pet. So it basically says, you're just a little household dog. That's all you are. Now that don't make me feel a lot better. It wouldn't make me feel a lot better. What would she do? Would she be offended like so many in our culture are today? Would Jesus be canceled there entire? Would she be offended? Would she be angry? Would she put her hands on her hip and say, how dare you, and turn and walk away in sheer anger? How, she, how would she respond? I want you to hear what she said. Look at verse 28 of Mark 7. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs under the table, and she used the same word for dogs there, referring to little diminutive dogs, household pets. She referred to herself as a little household pet, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. Man, what a response! Unlike many of the Jews who responded to Jesus with self-righteous pride and arrogance, her attitude was one of humility. She acknowledged that she had no claim on the goodness and the grace of Jesus. Her faith, however, was so real and so robust that she truly believed that just a tiny crumb of Jesus' power could deliver her sweet little daughter from a demon's cruel destruction of her. Look at verse 29 and 30. And he said to her, here's what Jesus said to her. Because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed the demon having left. Wow. Once again, Matthew included a response of Jesus that Mark didn't give us in his gospel. And it's an important one. In Matthew chapter 15, 28, then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. The word great there is a, is a Greek word, mega. You have mega faith. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Now, this is a clear indication that this woman had saving faith in Jesus Christ as her personal Savior and Lord. Jesus acknowledged her faith. On an earlier occasion, Jesus made a similar remark about a, a Roman centurion who came to Jesus and he said, Lord, my servant is gravely ill. Just say the word. 
and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, I'll go with you. And, G- and, and the, the, the Roman centurion said, Lord, you don't need to come with me. All you have to do is say the word, and he'll be healed. Wow. And you know what Jesus said to that Roman centurion in Matthew chapter 8, verse 10? When Jesus heard him say this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. There are only two times in the New Testament when Jesus said somebody had great faith. And both of them are Gentiles. Both of them are Gentiles, not Jews. Gentiles. A Gentile woman and a Gentile Roman centurion. Now listen, the greatness of this woman's faith is magnified when one stops to consider the fact that she was born and raised in a pagan culture with absolutely no exposure to the temple, no exposure to the sacrificial system, and no exposure to the scriptures. And even with this, the Holy Spirit of God revealed to her that Jesus was her only hope. The Holy Spirit of God revealed to her that Jesus was, in fact, the Jewish Messiah sent for the entire world, including her. And she believed, and she was saved, and she received her miracle. Listen, in John chapter 6, verse 37 Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Anybody who came to Jesus with sincerity and faith, Jesus would receive them. Jesus would save them. And the same is true today. Listen, Jesus had such authority over the spiritual realm that he did not need to be with that little girl to cast that demon out. He had such authority in the spiritual realm that he did not even need to give a spoken command for the demon to leave. Jesus simply had a thought. And when Jesus had that thought, immediately the demon had to vacate the premises of that precious little girl, and she was free. She was healed. And it's interesting that this woman, when Jesus told her that she was healed, This woman didn't stay there and keep asking Jesus to help her. You know what she did? She believed him. She believed that her daughter was free from demonic oppression and control, and she left, and she went home, and when she got home, she found her precious little girl laying in bed totally free from demonic dark powers. Oh, my goodness. What a story. What a lesson for the disciples. But wait a minute. It's not just a lesson for the disciples. It's a lesson for the men and women in this room and those who are watching by live stream and those who will be watching our, our TV ministry. It's a lesson for all of us. And there's a magnificent truth that just sort of leaks out of this story, and here's that truth. Now listen. Jesus can save anybody but everybody won't be saved. Well, let me repeat that. Anybody can be saved, 
but everybody won't be saved. There's a growing sense of universalism that has crept into churches today. I tell you, it is a dangerous, dangerous heresy. The idea that everybody's going to be saved. I'm telling you, the Bible does not teach that, friend. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to light. Now listen, and there are few who find it. You know what Jesus said? There's going to be more people in hell than there are in heaven. That's what Jesus said. I didn't say it. He said it. Anybody can be saved, but everybody won't be saved. Boy, it's important that you get that locked into your heart. Now, there are two thoughts that flow out of that I want to share with you. Number one, salvation is essential. It's essential. Every human being on this planet I don't care where they live. I don't care what they believe. I don't care how they were raised up. I tell you, friend, every individual on this planet needs to be saved. Saved from what, you might ask? I'm glad you asked. Here's the answer. Saved from sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one, the Bible says. Saved from sin. Saved from God's wrath. The wrath of God is just as real as the love of God. And dear friend, if you die without forgiveness, you will experience the wrath of God for all of eternity in a place called hell. Saved from Satan's deception. Saved from hopelessness. Saved from the judgment of God at the white throne judgment. Saved from hell. That's what you need to be saved from. Oh, you say, Pastor, I, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm religious. Dear friend, your goodness... And your religion will only get you a one-way ticket to hell. I'm sorry. That's the truth. Anybody can be saved, but everybody won't be saved. What about you? Will you be saved? Will you go through the narrow gate into heaven one day? Or will you keep plodding down the broad road that leads to destruction? Salvation is essential. The woman in our story knew she needed help. Have you come to that place in your life where you know that you need to be saved? Hey, you'll never be saved until you get to the point where you know you need to be saved. You'll never be saved until you get to the point where you know you're lost. Do you realize that? Oh, listen, salvation is essential. And here's a second truth that flows out of this story today. Salvation is conditional. It's conditional. The first condition is this. You must realize that Jesus is the only one who can save you. There is no other individual in any religion, any place in all of creation that can save you other than Jesus. In, in John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door. 
He didn't say, I'm a door. He said, I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus said in, in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Now listen, no one, you hear that? No one comes to the Father but through me. Have you realized that Jesus is your only hope of salvation? And with that, and that with that salvation comes forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with God, and the gift of eternal life. Have you realized that? And here's the second condition. You must be willing to turn from every idol in your life. And you must receive Jesus by faith, knowing that he is a son of God. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead. And therefore, he has done everything necessary to save you. You, don't, you can't do anything to save yourself. Listen, you don't come through a Baptist door. You don't come through a Methodist door. You don't come through a Catholic door. You don't come for a, through a Muslim door. The only way to go to heaven, you have to go through the door of Jesus. Only he could save you. So who could be saved? He can save anybody. He saved a thief on the cross with only minutes left to live. He saved Paul, a blasphemer and a persecutor of the church, and he saved him. He saved a Roman soldier and his entire family. He saved a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. He can save liars. He can save thieves. He can save homosexuals. He can save addicts. He can save alcoholics. He can save adulterers. He can save abusers. He can save gossips. He can save people who are absolutely full of themselves with pride. He can save them. One thing is for certain. You can be saved if you are willing to trust Jesus as your Savior, Lord, today. He'll save you. In John 3, 16, Jesus said, For God so loved, we sang it about him, about a moment ago, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now look, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. L let me ask you, are you ready to be saved today? I'm going to ask our staff to come. We're going to have a time of worship and a time for you to respond. Listen, if you're in this room, if you're watching live stream, if you're watching our TV ministry, this is a moment that you've been waiting for. This is a moment of salvation. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Come to Jesus today in saving faith. So in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to worship and if you would like to talk to one of our staff members about being saved, having a relationship with Jesus, I want you to come to one of them and just tell them this. How can I be saved? Please tell me how I can be saved. Come with a heart like this woman had. She was desperate. Come to Jesus. Hey, I want to speak to every believer in this room. As a believer, are you ready to share the gospel without prejudice? Zero prejudice. 
This message is the only hope for your family. It's the only hope for your friends. It's the only hope for your neighbors. It's the only hope for your co-workers. It's only hope for people who live in other nations who have never even heard the name Jesus. Are you ready to share Jesus? Hey, look, I, I know we talk about that a lot. And maybe it's gotten to be old hat to you. But I'm telling you, dear friend, if you're a believer, one day you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ as a believer, and you'll give an account for what you did with the gospel. He didn't give you the gospel. He didn't save you for you to keep it to yourself. He saved it so that teenage boys and teenage girls can share the gospel with their friends at school. He gave us the gospel. He saved us so that we might share this wonderful good news that changed this woman's life, that changed my life, that has changed many of your life, and share it with others. I'm going to ask you if you're a believer. Listen, if you're a believer, you come to the altar, and you ask the Holy Spirit to lay on your heart somebody's name that he wants you to share the gospel with and pray for their souls. Pray for their souls. Listen, here's the truth. Anybody can be saved. But I'm telling you, dear friend, not everybody will be saved. Let's make sure that the people we know at least, at the very least, they hear the gospel from our lips. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this amazing story. And Lord, I pray that through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that you would bring men, women, boys, and girls to faith in Jesus today, just like you brought this woman, this Syrophoenician woman, to faith in Jesus. Lord, do it again. Do it today. And Lord, touch the hearts of believers. Don't let us be casual with the gospel. Lord, help us to share the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, that anybody can be saved. May you be glorified in what's about to happen in this room right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship and you come.